going. Love it. All right. We are still in Luke chapter 1. Uh, we've been slowly making our way through it because there's just, first of all, it's a long chapter and there's just so many things here. Uh, last week in part 2 of chapter 1, we saw the angel Gabriel come and speak to Mary and tell her that she was going to have a son. And then he begins to speak all of these prophetic scriptures, really, so that without a doubt, she would know that her son is going to be the Messiah, God himself present on earth, and that she was going to be a part of it. We talked a little bit about Mary from Nazareth. Nazareth was such an unimpressive town that there is nothing in Jewish history that mentions Nazareth, and there is nothing in the Old Testament that mentions Nazareth. And so this is a, a place that certainly existed, had people, but was not of note in any way. And then Mary's response to the things that Gabriel says is she isn't shocked that he's an angel. She isn't shocked that he's in her house. What she's shocked about is the way he is addressing her as though she were someone important. There's this great humility that we see. Um, and, and certainly her calling is made clear by Gabriel. He knows, he's told her exactly what's going to take place. Um, but at the same time, this could be a very lonely calling that's upon her life. That she's going to lose a lot because of the work that God is doing in her life. But he also lets her know that there is fellowship provided. We talked about that when God calls us something, in some ways, there's always going to be some things that we lose. And it's important to know that no one ever gets called into ministry as the Lone Ranger. No one ever is completely on their own. Nobody's just all by themselves, and no one understands. Though there are plenty of people that think that, they're wrong. And in Mary's case, she's given her close relative, Elizabeth, who also is, had a miraculous work being done in her life. And, and I just love the, the way that God puts us together with somebody else that's walking the same road, Right? Because not everyone gets it. Not everyone understands that, that we try and share what God's doing or a calling on our life, and they want to get it, but they've got a different calling. They've got a little different ministry that they're doing in the Lord, so it just doesn't connect. And they're like, oh, that sounds nice. It also sounds a little crazy, and, and it can be very discouraging. So when we share with people, I think for the most part, it's important we find others that are, are walking that same road of ministry, have the same calling, because they can understand and encourage what God's already doing. And that's the case with Mary and Elizabeth. Uh, Mary went to go visit Elizabeth at the end of our Bible study last week, and we're going to be starting uh, in verse 45 today, which is Mary's song, uh, and it's, it's beautiful. So let's pray one more time, and we will get into the rest of the chapter. God, again, we're so grateful for the work that you're doing in us individually and in this church, and we just pray that you would continue to have your way today, that you would show us how these things apply to us, and that we would have ears to hear, that all the distractions and concerns and stuff that has just been on our mind, that it would all be put to the side, and we would focus in and dial into what you want to do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. So starting in verse 40, actually 46, it says, and Mary said, 
My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. And behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in their imaginations of their own hearts. He has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And Mary remained about three months, or Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her house. Um, now, as I said before, Gabriel's news to Mary is amazing. This is a calling, this is a ministry like no other that Mary is given. But there is also going to be a lot that she would lose. She would definitely lose her community. Nobody's going to understand or believe a word she says. So she goes away, she's with Elizabeth for three months, and then she goes home three months pregnant. And no one's going to believe that she heard from an angel, right? Much less that she's carrying the Messiah. So she would lose her community. There's a really good chance she lost her family. There's no mention of Mary's family, of them being supportive, of them believing her, nothing, right? And there would even be those that probably would have been trying to take her life, uh, believing that she committed adultery. So she knows what she's losing. She knows all that this means. None of this was going to blindside her. She knew exactly what it entailed. Um, but you don't hear any of that in this song of praise. And I, I, we don't really know the history of this. It, we don't know if this is what Mary shared with Elizabeth and it was so poetic that it got passed on as a song or just the way that she shared it was just beautiful. So the way that the structure that actually it's written in is the same that a song would be written in. Um, and you don't hear any of this poor me or what about me. It's one of the things that drives me nuts about you know, some of the different Hollywood representations of, of the nativity or of Mary or of all this stuff is that they'll take sections of Mary's song and it's portrayed in this kind of melancholy, like, like she's trying to be positive as she says these things through clenched teeth and tears, and that is not it at all. This is a song of absolute rejoicing at all costs. Like she knows what it's going to cost her, and it is still just an absolute beautiful song of worship and of praise. Verse 47, my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. That at a very core of her being, in the depths of her spirit, she is rejoicing at the things that God has done. And it's also good to know that the reason she, the very first thing she says, the reason for her rejoicing is because God is her Savior. So not even just to say, because of this one event, because God has blessed me, because God's put a calling on my life. The very, the greatest reason she has to rejoice is that God is her Savior. And after that, everything else is secondary, right? 
And it's good to note, Mary knew she needed a Savior, right? There's, Mary's not perfect. Mary's not without sin, as some kind of portray her to be. Mary was an amazing woman, there's no doubt about it. But she is a sinner like all of us, and she knew it. She needed a Savior. And, and she rejoices at the joy and the love that she has received from God uh, with this calling on her life. Now, there's a few other things that I think are important about Mary, and this is one of the reasons I wanted to slow down, because a lot of times we can just read over this and like, yeah, 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 the Christmas story, and we'll get to the birth of Jesus and all that in chapter 2, but there's important things about Mary's character that I think are good for us, and the first thing here is that Mary had an amazing handle on Scripture. Again, there's, there's this kind of Western idea that pretty much everybody at the time of Jesus was completely ignorant, that they didn't read, they didn't write, they were a bunch of hillbillies that, you know, this story kind of happened around them. That is not the case at all, especially in the Jewish culture. It was so important in the Jewish culture to read the scriptures. To, they, now, they didn't have like a Bible in the house like we do. They didn't have scrolls in their house. But they knew the great importance of every individual, certainly young men, but women as well, of learning to read in order to take in the scriptures. And we find with Mary, man, she knew the word of God. Because as she is singing this song of praise, it is just scripture after scripture after scripture, effortlessly, right? She's quoting from Proverbs, from Psalms. She's hitting all these prophetic scriptures in the Old Testament. And, and it, it's just flowing from her that shows that she had been storing up the word of God inside of her heart for quite some time. And I think there's, a, there's an important little difference. When I, when I talk about taking in the scriptures, when I talk about storing up the scriptures, uh, it's mentioned that, you know, as, as Mary was saying these things, you know, that it's, it's truly, it's flowing from an understanding. You can memorize a bunch of scripture, and I'm sure we have all known, maybe at some time, been a person that has taken in lots of memorization, but simply just taking in information, even the Bible, is not enough. I've known people that can quote scripture and just amaze you with how much they know, and they are mean, bitter people. That you're like, wow, what a horrible representation of, of the love of Christ. Or they got a lot memorized, and they'll tell you about all the stuff they've got memorized. That's right. So Satan knows the Word of God, right? And that's a good point, because it's more than simply taking it in. It's being changed by it. It's taking it in to know the character of God himself, what he likes what he doesn't like, what he's about, what he's not about, right? What he has for us, what he doesn't have for us. And so we see that in Mary, that she understands the character of God. He's not a mystery to her. He, he's not somebody that's just like, oh, I wish I knew what he was like. Oh, I wish I knew what he was about. She is just in this song of praise revealing so much about his character. Now, another thing, not only has she taken in and understands the character of God, um, but we again see that there's this great humility in the where, where she sees herself and how she sees the Lord, who he is, right? So in verse 48, 
she says, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. Again, that isn't lowly as in like, I'm nothing, I'm not important, I'm such a worm. It's not it. She just knows that she's plain Mary from Nazareth. That she doesn't have a lot that the world would be interested in. She's, she has a lowly state. And that, that's, not, again, not a negative thing. Um, but she knows that the things that are taking place in her life are from the grace of God. She hasn't earned it. She hasn't somehow overcome his reluctance or perfected herself to a certain state where he's forced to bless her. It's, it's none of those things. She just knows who she is, and she's honest about it, right? But she also knows what it means for her, right? It says, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. Because the work that God has done in her and her lowly state, little Mary, plain Mary from Nazareth, will be known for eternity. Not just for a little while. Not just for like the popularity we see in people today where musicians or actors are, are all the rage for a month or a year or two and then are, disappear. Mary's name will never, ever be forgotten. When we are in New Jerusalem, she'll be there, of course, but everyone will go, hey, that's Mary. <laughs> and, and again, I wonder how overwhelming that must have been to go, for generations, for all the generations, people will know who Mary is. Now, um, the other thing that I like about this is she's talking about, she's honest about where she's at, but she's also making a point of exalting the power and the goodness of God. Verse 49 says, For he who is mighty, has done great things for me, and holy is his name. She doesn't brag about herself. She doesn't, it isn't this thing of like, well, you know, I've worked pretty hard. I've been to church every Sunday. I've memorized a bunch of scripture. There's none of that, of course. But as she's honest and humble about who she is, she's very vocal about the goodness of the Lord. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes we... I think, downplay the things that God is doing in us. I don't know if you guys have done this, but I found myself, when I'm going through a season of really being blessed, where things just are, man, God just seems to be working in so many different ways, that I am a little hesitant sometimes to tell people. Because maybe they're not doing so good. And I don't want to come in and go, oh, well, I'm doing great, let me tell you, I'm blah, 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 you know, and, just, and you feel like, well, I don't want to seem like I'm bragging or I don't want to seem like I'm being arrogant about what God's doing. And I think that's a big mistake. I mean, honestly, we do want to be careful that we're not being insensitive to somebody else's difficulty or pain. But I think if we get that attitude of like, well, I don't want to say too much, why not? Why, why don't we want to say too much about the Lord? Again, Mary's a great example because she's not bragging about herself, but she is bragging on the Lord, and I like that. I, because I think it's a powerful thing to come into somebody's life. Maybe somebody that is having a hard time to go, let me tell you what God's been doing. Just to encourage you so that you know that he wants to do these same things in you. Bigger things, right? And I think that looking at Mary gives us a, a good kind of a format, maybe. Some, a little checklist that we can look at. 
Um, because I think the first thing when it comes to something like that, again, we don't want to just rush in and start blabbing about things and not think about it. The first thing is, is that, like Mary, we need to be overwhelmed by it ourselves. To really take in the things that God is doing right now and let it overwhelm you. To just sit in silence for a, a few minutes and consider the goodness of God. Now, are there things that, that we might need or that we think we want to happen? Sure, there always are. There are things in our lives that maybe aren't going as great as we like. Absolutely. But to really stop and think, God, I am so blessed. Honestly, if he didn't do one more thing for us, he has saved us from hell. He has reserved a place for us in heaven. We are saved. We're going to live forever. And if he never did any other thing ever in our lives, it would be enough. But I know each and every one of us could sit, and even in our times of difficulty, start looking at the good things he has done in our life and is doing in our life right now. Maybe our health's not great. or Maybe we're in a, we've got a hard relationship that we're dealing with. There's plenty of other things we can go, God, but thank you for this. And let that overwhelm us to the point of that praise is the response. And that's what's happening with Mary. She's just taking this all in. She's overwhelmed by how good God is, and she just can't help but speak it. Now, again, I think we do need to be prayerful. We need to be led by the Spirit and who we share that with. As I said, I think certainly God gives us those people in our lives that we can know that they're kind of walking the same road we are and that they'll be the ones to go right on. That's great. I'm so encouraged, and I want to encourage you in that. Maybe not everybody is going to have that type of response. But I think we need to be sensitive to spirit because there's also been plenty of times in my life where I want to share something with somebody, but I'm like, gosh, I know they're having a rough time, or maybe they're not even a believer, and I don't want to you know, throw all these great things out and have them just dismiss them. But the Holy Spirit's like, no, go ahead, share it. Tell them what, what I'm doing. And then in doing that, it has an amazing response. And I think that's why we've got to be in tune, right? Because in our own in intellect, we might go, oh, no, this person doesn't get it. No, they won't know. But the Holy Spirit's going, they need to hear this, right? And I think it's so powerful for us to verbally speak the praise of God. I mean, that's the idea of worship before church, right? It isn't just the tradition of like, oh, let's sing a couple songs before we have a Bible study. The idea is that we are speaking praise, that we are speaking worship, that our own voices connect with our ears about the goodness of God. And the people next to us hear us speaking those words. And even though it's very easy for our minds to start wandering and, you know, we all know, right? I mean, you can have hands raised and eyes closed and you're thinking, is the game on today? Right? I mean, I don't. Some people don't. Did I figure out lunch? What was I doing for lunch? But we also know in, in contrast to that, those times where we really consider the words we're saying. Maybe a song we've heard over and over and over, Amazing Grace. But for some reason, we just stop and we're like, Lord, your amazing grace poured out on me. And it, it just, you know the difference, right? And that's the idea, is that not just before the Bible study on Sundays, but those taking those opportunities to speak his praise aloud for us and for the others around us. I think it's 
very important. And it's very healthy for us to get into that mindset of being thankful. Um, instead of constantly trying to tell God, and I need this and I need that, and you know, treating him like the cosmic vending machine, instead realizing he has already given us more than we could ever deserve. Now, again, a lot of the things that Mary's speaking of, uh, I think it's important to know the, the event is that she's carrying the Messiah, right? That's huge. And so that's kind of like what has started this whole landslide of worship and of praise. But I also think it's cool that she isn't just speaking about herself. There's part of that, right? The state of the lowly servant and that she will be remembered for generations and all those things. But she goes on to cover a whole lot more than just the things about herself. In verse, starting in verse 51, it says, He has shown strength with his arm. And he has scattered the proud, and he has put down the mighty, exalted the lowly. He has lifted, excuse me, he has filled the hungry, the rich he has sent away empty, and he has helped his servant Israel. Mary understands without a doubt this is a whole lot bigger than her. And it's a whole lot bigger than the world standards of the powerful and the rich and the wise and all those things that God wants to use the lowly and the people in their low state to do amazing things and truly to affect the entire world. Now, uh, Luke goes on to tell us that after three months, Mary went home. Uh, but it's more likely, it's most likely, that three months was after John was born. And so it, kind of the timing of the way it's put down sounds like she left before that, but it wouldn't have really made sense. She probably would have stayed until John was born and then went home. And that's the right timing. We know that when Gabriel spoke to her, Elizabeth was six months pregnant. She's been there three months. That means there's probably a baby there, too. So, verse 57. It says, Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child and would have called his name by his father, Zacharias. And his mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. And so they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. And they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. And then fear came upon all those who dwelt around them, and all those and all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now, Remember, Elizabeth and Zacharias are well advanced in years. They are older, well past the years of childbearing, and have had no children, which was a huge deal in the Hebrew culture. I mean, in the, in the ancient world, to be sure, but even more so in the, the Hebrew culture, that having children was a huge part of their existence and their society and everything. And so... They understand, Elizabeth and Zechariah, that they have received this promise from God. 
But the people around them aren't sure. And I imagine there had to be some concern that, yes, she's pregnant, but what's going to happen? Is it going to go well? And so after John is born, that's when everybody really rejoices. And, and it talk, they talk about the goodness of God. And verse 58 says, And her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her and rejoiced with her. Um, which really, that was part of Gabriel's promise, right? And when he told Zacharias that many will rejoice at his birth. And it, it isn't, I mean, while that's true here, the idea is because he was born, throughout his life, many will rejoice because of who John the Baptist is and how God uses him. Um, now, again, there was a lot to rejoice about. First of all, those who were without children now had a child. And really, any child would have been considered a huge miracle and blessing because of their age. But the fact that it's a son is also a big deal because now there's somebody to carry on the family line. And that wasn't just like, oh, my name needs to continue. It had to do with all kinds of things and property and, and whatnot that was all attached to or responsibilities in the temple would have been the case more for Zacharias and for his family that would all be passed on through the son. And I think also there's some excitement because they've heard of the vision and the visit from Gabriel to Zacharias. Though they couldn't have fully understood it, they had known that this child had a calling on its life. All eyes are starting to be on John. So the eighth day comes, and according to the law, that's when a, a boy was circumcised. Again, it's a lot more than just the act of circumcision. It was that they were being brought into the covenant of Israel, right? It was a big deal, right? So families would gather and neighbors would come over and they'd all be a part of this. Again, it wasn't even so much about the act. It was like, this child is now fully one of Israel. And so there'd be a celebration with it. One of the absolute things I love about the Bible is how it just unapologetically shows human nature, right? Even in just super weird ways, <laughs> And this is one of them, that even though, you know, 2,000 years ago in a completely different culture, these people have the same weird flaws that we have with our friends and relatives, um, and I find it hilarious, right? So this group gathers, and, and they decide what the child would be named. They're like, that kid's named Zacharias after his father, right? And everyone's like, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, friends and family don't change that much. Just super pushy. And the mom's like, oh, no, no, we've already decided. John. And they're like, no, 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 that, we're not doing that. And they're like, they're arguing with the mom about what her child is going to be named. And, uh, and so uh, they call for Zacharias. And, again, because they're not getting the right response from their mom, they bring the dad in. And uh, they can, they, they're arguing with her. And I guess one of the things that I find so funny is... <laughs> Verse 62 says, and they made signs to his father what he would have him called. The funny thing is, is that Zacharias, though he hasn't been able to speak for nine months, he's not deaf. <laughs> and so he's like, I just picture him being super annoyed, like with this whole group of people. Like, oh. And so he made, you know, give me that tablet. And they're like, oh, yes, Zachariah, thank you. See, he understands, right? And, and he's just like. Uh -huh. You know, he can hear everything. <laughs> Again, friends and family don't change. And so he writes, 
His name is John. And it says that they are amazed. They are shocked. They marvel. Well, why? Well, first of all, again, because he's elderly, because they're both elderly, it would have been culturally the right thing for him to name his son after himself, right? The other thing is, is that John is a super common name. It, 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 every other kid was named John. And they already know this is an extraordinary child, not just because he arrived to his parents in, the, in their later years, but because God's calling is upon his life. And they're shocked. Now, verse 40, excuse me, 64 says, Immediately his mouth was open, and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Mary's song is very similar to Zechariah's song. They have a lot of parallels to them. And one of the things that, I, I, again, I think is so cool is that Mary's heart towards the Lord and Zechariah's heart are very much the same as well. He hasn't been able to speak for nine months, which I'm sure his wife was thankful for. <laughs> She's like, this is great. <laughs> Anyhow, now he can talk. And, but the first things out of his mouth are not complaining. It's not arguing with the group that's there. It's not, you know, complaining about not being able to speak for nine months or that Gabriel took away his voice or any of that stuff. The first things out of his mouth are praise. That he's just overwhelmed again by the goodness of God and what God has done in his life. That Again, I find myself a little convicted, going, how often do I find something to complain about? How often am I focused on what I don't have, or what I wish would happen, rather than being overwhelmed by all that I have? Starting, well, verses 65 and 66 really set the stage for John. Um, and I think, again, because we kind of tend to go through this story, like, oh, yeah, yeah, the Christmas story and stuff leading up to it, and John the Baptist being born, that's great. But we miss out on the, the character and the things that God was doing in John the Baptist. And I think verses 65 and 66 really set the whole stage. Um, and I think it's something we, we very often miss. So starting in verse 65, it says, Then fear came on all who dwelt around them. All these things were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? See, we kind of get this picture, and I think the other Gospels, because very often they'll, they'll pick up with the story of John there at the river, calling out to everyone to repent. We get this idea, like, John just swept onto the scene, like no one had ever heard of him before. He's just this crazy dude out in the desert, and suddenly all of Israel's like, Hey, let's go listen to that guy. That is not the case. From the day John was born, people were watching him. Eyes were on him. It has been 400 years of absolute silence from heaven. And now, with the events that are taking place in Israel, the people in the hill country of Judea and all around that area and in the temple know that God is doing something, and it's going to start with John. And they kept these things in their hearts. They paid attention. 
They watched John his entire life growing up to see what type of man he would be. It also explains why one of the reasons so many people came out to see John. Because when he went out and began his ministry, people were already like, that's the guy we want to pay attention to, right? But it started here at his birth. Um, And though he went out into the desert, spent a lot of time out there in isolation until he was called into the ministry, uh, there was an evidence on his life that people that saw him, knew him, or around him, says, and the hand of the Lord was with him. That through this time that we, we get this huge gap from his birth until he starts his ministry, we don't know what happened in between, but during that time, the hand of the Lord was with him. All right, verse 67. We hear the praise from Zacharias. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began. And we should, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who would hate us to perform the mercies promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant to, to us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, For you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways. To give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins through the tender mercies of our God. With which the day spring from on high has visited us. To give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death. To guide our feet into the way of peace. And so the child grew and became strong in the spirit. And was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. Yeah, here Zacharias has not spoken again for nine months. And then, yeah, just taking it in. And I imagine there's plenty of those quiet hours as he just sat and considered the goodness of God. And, and seeing his wife, is, is her pregnancy was, you know, advancing, again, just Lord, you're so good. You're so good. And, and so now he speaks. First of all, it's important that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. These were not just his words. And again, there's some great parallels between Mary's song and Zechariah's prophecy is he is just stringing together scripture after scripture and prophecy after prophecy seamlessly, right? Powerful. Um. And I think, again, just obviously filled with joy as he is speaking all of these words. Now, we know that this is prophecy, but I think it's also a good example of what prophecy really is. Too often we think of prophecy only being something about future events. Thus saith the Lord next week, next month, next year, whatever. That is a form of prophecy, but it isn't all of prophecy. Prophecy literally means to speak the heart of God to the ears of men. 
That's what it is. Teaching or quoting the scripture is a form of prophecy. You're, you're, you're taking God's heart, his character, and you're speaking it for others to hear. Praise and worship, again, just like we talked about earlier. Speaking that praise, speaking worship for others to hear, it's a form of prophecy. And the vast majority of what Zacharias speaks here is not about the future. It's about God's goodness and faithfulness of the past. The covenant that he made with Israel, that he is now fulfilling, right? And so, so much of it is just pointing to the character of God, who he actually is, what he's about. And speaking that out loud, that is, in fact, prophecy. Now, again, he does bring in the fact that the Messiah is coming to fulfill all of those things, that his son will be the one to go before him and prepare the way. But he doesn't actually get to the blessing or the prophecy of his son until verse 76. And then there's this quick little overview about John's life in verse 80. So the child grew and became strong in the spirit and was in the deserts until the day of his manifestation to Israel. Again, he chose to be isolated. John could have been the golden boy in the temple. He could have been the guy that everyone else was like, oh, yeah, this is the new young kid coming up, and he's something special, man. An angel visited his dad. He could have been right in the thick of it, but he chose to be in the deserts to wait on the Lord until the timing was right, and then he would fulfill it as the Lord would direct him to. Now, again, I think Mary and Zacharias are great examples to us. In a lot of ways, certainly their humility and their heart of worship. But I think that in that, we also see the desire to understand the character of God. That these were both people that had been in the word. And so when God began to move, there wasn't this question of, well, could I trust him? I'm not sure. Are these things right? Or They understood God's character so well that when God said, hey, I've got something for you, but it's going to be hard. And that was the case with both with Mary and with Zacharias and Elizabeth, I guess all three, that what God was calling them to was not an easy ministry. But because they understood God's character, they're like, we're in, let's do it. And the result was just praise from their mouth. That's my prayer for us, that we would be people just more and more wanting to understand the character, not just taking in information, not just taking in things about Bible history, but knowing the character of Jesus Christ, that when he moves on our lives, we're right there saying, absolutely, let's do it at all costs. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. God, again, we thank you, and we want to be used by you. We pray that you would have your way in us, that you would cause us to grow in maturity and understanding of who you are, that we could be people filled with joy and excitement and praise and worship, about the goodness that you have poured out on our lives. And that, Lord, you would use us any way you want. And we just pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.